Welcome to another episode of the Adventure Creator Podcast. My guest today is Sumita Kothari, just an incredibly interesting and curious human who will not ever settle for complacency. She's always on to the next thing, the next project, and the next challenge. Sumita is a great storyteller and tells the story about how working as a car salesman ended up getting her a job at Google. And we dive into how that happened and how an understanding of just truly following your heart and your interests is actually going to take you further in the right direction than a carved out path that many other people have walked before. I'm excited to share this podcast and I think you're going to love it. So let's get right into the conversation. Samita Kathari. Samita, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We are recording. Thank you for coming on. I'm super stoked to chat with you and especially being longtime friends, I think we're going to have a lot to chat about. Me too. I'm so excited. I already told you it's just a treat to get to hang for a little minute. So (laughs) yeah, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know Um, you're coming from a hotel room and I'm coming from a like a (laughs) small studio or bedroom in Mexico. So we're we're making it happen. Yes. (laughs) I was just, I I was thinking about the last time we saw each other was on a trail. We just bumped into each other up in the mountains hiking. And I was like overwhelmed. And my girlfriend mentioned it too. She's like, wow, her energy is just like incredible. Like like just the positive energy that you radiate. And so I want to hopefully at some point in this conversation, get to the bottom of how you became (laughs) this. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Sorry. Oh my God. I, that was so vivid for me because it was funny because I was with Sibylla, one of our other childhood friends and we left and she goes, Oh my gosh, you are so excited to have run into them. And I was like, (laughs) I've been thinking about this for so long. Like, you know, and I think that's the great thing about energy is like when your energy is calling for something and then the universe just puts it literally on your physical trail path. Like (laughs) totally. And that's like a lot of what I like to talk about is finding your path and like we are all on our own paths. It's something I'm just so interested in. I had a revelation. I was thinking about it today, actually. Like when I was, when you're growing up with the same people, we lived in a small community. So like everyone's kind of on the same path. Like y'all are just going to school and oh, we're going to go to college. And then it clicked in my head one day, like, oh shoot, like my friends are all going different directions than me. And like, that's totally okay. And then embracing that and just like being on your own path by yourself in a way with still having a community around you is super empowering. So yeah, that's funny you say that right off the bat. Yeah. Well, I mean, I see you in that light too. We've, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit and I'll definitely touch on it again, but just, I, I'm so in admiration of, especially granted where we grew up and like being so comfortable with a certain path and seeing the outcome and knowing it's a really good one, right? Like the long-term of if you follow the designated route, like you will be totally fine and set. And you're just like, you know what? Like somehow I want more and it's going to be different. (laughs) Right. And it comes with sacrifices too. Like, you know, you have to, there's a lot of things that you have to quote unquote, give up in a way to like go towards like what I guess your calling is in a way. Um, but I, just like you said, like things do just fall out of the sky right onto your lap. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear kind of how your recent transition has gone. But before we like, before we get there, what were you passionate about growing up? What was life like for you as a kid? Maybe recount a little bit of, you know, early elementary school, middle school times, and, uh, we can 
have an alternative perspective on uh, Mercer Island and our communities, but what were you passionate about? Oh my gosh, right off the bat, I wanted to be an inventor. I still want to be an inventor. Like the one, like the Rube Goldberg, you know, you set up the chain of like pulleys and wheels and levers. Um, I grew up sharing a room with my brother and in a bunk bed actually. And um, so I'd create these little lever systems so we could pass notes. And he obviously never passed notes to me. But <laughs> <It's a rush. laughs> I know. Yes. Um, my brother's in, in Kyle's grade for those that don't know. But um, yeah, I just, I loved playing with that type of stuff. And I still love working with my hands. And it's constantly been a huge factor in like my professional sense as well. I mean, um, you know, to a certain extent, like loving machinery and loving working with my hands. I ended up selling cars for a minute, but, um, I, I think the other element of that too is, um, and I guess going back to my childhood a little bit, my, my parents were so big into math. They had, um, a cassette that like played the times tables. Oh my, that's and hardcore. Like we ha- we had them memorized by like yeah. the age of five, like you know, and it was. I think that forever, forever changed like who I am and where I ended up because, and how could it not? Um, I was always so comfortable with the certain level of like this one topic that was very hard for everyone else that um, I never really was scared of feeling dumb. Like if that makes sense, right? Like. I was just like, well, you know, a lot of people consider this thing to be really tough and like, it's not that tough for me. So like, if something is tough for me, like I'm probably not dumb. It's probably, you know, and (laughs) um, in some ways in a like full hearted sense, it's made me think like I can really just like try anything because I grew up with that confidence. So um, like, I don't know if you know this, but like my parents made us do like a UW math course all summer in high school. I remember, I remember Siraj oh, doing it. He was always way ahead in math for sure. <laughs> That's my brother. Yeah. We would like compete for candy during math. But, like it was just, <laughs> and you enjoyed that too at the time. Um, no, genuinely. No, I think there was a lot of things where like, I am bearing the rewards of that labor now. Um, like an element of that is my dad put me in Boy Scouts. Um, dad, did you not know that? I had no idea. Oh my gosh. I grew up, I'm actually a, and I'm, I'm a girl, but I'm a certified Boy Scout of America. This is news to me. <laughs> so, so you can like start a fire in the nature and stuff like that. That's <laughs> leaving cotton balls, best fire starter I maintain. Um, uh, yeah, growing up, my dad was just like, Girl Scouts, I simply don't understand it. Your brother's like building chess boards and derby cars and whatever, and you need that experience. And, you know, we grew up on a small island, and um, it was Jimmy Abrahamson's dad, John Abrahamson, mm-hmm. and, and he was the chief leader. And it's, you know, like a couple of kids. He's like, yeah, who cares if your daughter tags along? I So I grew up doing that. Like, I did a lot of their campouts with them. I did their competitions, like the knot tying, but, like, my scores didn't count. Um, because and, you were a girl? Yeah, it was like before we're allowed to be Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, but it was super empowering. But yeah, going through it, I was like, this sucks. Like the boys won't play with me. They don't want to hang. Um, I They won't give me a reason why. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm just so beyond it. I'm like, so what? Who cares? <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so I did that and then did Venture Scouts, which is like when you're in your teenage years and um, like would do the 20 mile backpacking trips with them and like 50 mile whitewater rafting. And then um, we found Sea Scouts. There was like a naval boat tied up on the dock at Luther Burbank. And through Sea Scouts, which is the naval branch, you can um, become an official Boy Scout of America for your girl. Ah, oh, super. So yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's a that's a roundabout way of saying like my childhood was weird. <laughs> Very unique, I'll say that for sure. Yeah, it was probably not what you expected from Richard Island. Like I'd never been to summer celebration until like high school. I we just all we're always doing other really whack, random, intense things. <laughs> cool. So it makes what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Like you put in like a lot of effort and time early on, like in your early years, I was actually just on a zoom call. I told you about this with our fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Burke. And I told her, like, she just said, Kyle, you know, it's your fifth grade teacher. I haven't heard from her in 15 years, right. Or whatever it is, 14 years. And I was thinking like those years are so transformational when you're young to like a year of learning in the right direction when you're in fourth, fifth grade is worth like five years in your twenties. It's so crazy. That is such a good point. And I like gave up on learning. When I got to eighth grade, I found out that grades don't matter. And then in high school, I just like didn't not care about school. I was bored. I just had no passion around what I was learning about. Pretty much until my final semester at Notre Dame, I was like, I had no passion around what I was learning about. And so I just for sure set myself back because I was just kind of on this like path that was laid out for me. And um did okay, you I, feel that at all? Like at some point, like after when you're a kid, yeah, you have interest in learning because things are new and you're curious, but did you always have a drive or when did you reconnect with the drive that you have now to like learn and I guess like some reconnect with some of those passions that you were talking about, about building and innovating? And... Okay. You, you hit the nail on the head, the grades and the learning for me. And I'm so lucky to have been allowed to have this mindset. Um, it, they're mutually independent. And my parents were actually huge proponents of that. And so this is like kind of a ridiculous plot twist, but they um, were raised in the UK. And so um, the UK education system is far different from the American and in a lot of ways, much more rigorous um, to be blunt. And so they did not care about American grades and they would tell us that. And so my mom would write me notes to skip class. She was like, I don't, I don't hold you to the standards of American grade system. I hold you to the standards of British one. <laughs> Great. Cool. So, um, from like, I think all of life growing up, they just, um, they never, they never really cared about grades. And that actually did bite us in the butt, like coming into high school and even throughout high school where like the career counselor was just like, she looked at me and go, frankly, your grades are not good enough. But, um, <laughs> it's funny that, you know, you kind of had the same thing and you said, I kind of stopped caring about like ascribing to the grade in eighth grade because like you ended up at Notre Dame. Right. And like, because my dad um, went there, you know, and that's the way the system is set up. You can, <laughs> I didn't earn my way there. That's for sure. Wow, that's, that's super inspirational. <laughs> but once I got there, I realized everyone else is here for the same, re like the grade system is so inflated in the U.S. Like everybody gets 4.0s. And so like, essentially, I mean, even a college degree to this point in the U.S. is not going to show an employer or anybody that you're more suited for something you know no. what is so weird about a grade is it has absolutely no correlation to like your understanding of a subject mm. and um this is why i love neuroscience right but like your brain is not meant to memorize in fact it is so 
poorly designed for memory that our memories are completely manipulatable. You can, you know, it's like when you put someone on a jury stand, like who knows what they remember if that's even accurate or relevant because your memory is so entirely flawed by absolutely everything. So like why in the world do we like somehow correspond understanding to like your ability to memorize? It just makes no sense. And in fact, like obviously like the, the greater definition of intelligence is how many concepts can you appreciate and draw associations from? And in so many ways, like that's also creativity, right? It's like seeing the same thing that everyone else has already seen, but seeing something different in it because you draw upon these other associations. Like that is genius. Um, and it has nothing to do with memory. And so it was quite interesting because I love, I love learning. I love picking something up to the point of understanding and then dropping it completely. Like I'll get obsessed with coffee. Like what does it mean to like have all the different oils create flavors and then how do the lipids in the milk like change that? And like, so what kind of coffee? And then as soon as I get it to a point of like, okay, I know what I like, what I don't like, like whatever onto some, you know, okay, now I'm into medicine, you know? But um, I think that um, a lot of the kids, this really blew my mind. I, so I studied abroad in Scotland. I did like a huge pivot and just decided I showed up there and decided I want to study neuroscience. And um, they sight and seen let me, show up there, accept me into the program without looking at my um, transcript. And I get there and the professor goes, you've never taken biology and you've never taken chemistry and I can't let you take fourth year honors neuroscience. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm here. <laughs> like I have Halfway to around it. the world, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you admitted me, that's kind of your problem. And, um, and I sat and I was like, look, like I'll teach myself and for us in this scenario, it'll be like, it's a win-win situation, right? If you let me teach myself and I can prove it, then I'm the only one that will have to bear the, the burden if that doesn't happen. Like nothing, no sweat off your back. And for some reason he allowed me to. Um, and it was so fun, Kyle, because it was trust. It was like, I could meet up with him every single day. I'd ask him about this, that, and the other, and was able to teach myself this curriculum. And then I got back to Berkeley and I was in a neuroscience class and it was so easy. And what really concerned me is all these kids in the class were like, isn't this the toughest thing ever? I just simply can't memorize like all these different compounds. And it was like that disjointed of like, but you're not supposed to memorize it. You're just supposed to appreciate like that is the system that is the brain, you know? Um, which is to say, well, like, I think when learning is enjoyable, when it's fun, you get the essence of like what you're learning when it's like stressful and you're trying to memorize a bunch of things. You'll, you'll never understand like the actual concept. Totally. Sorry. This is such a long rant. I, I love it. I, I'm uh, I just love <laughs> talking to, I love talking to you because you're just such a, a bright mind and I'm, as you're talking, I'm over here making associations in my mind to all these different things that I think about. So one thing that came up was when I had an internship in like tech consulting, I remember one, I was the only non-technical kid there. I was like a business student. I had no coding or programming skills at all, but my boss told me if there's one thing that you can take away from this summer, it's appreciating what these people that program and code do, because if you're going to be a manager one day, the, just understanding like, Hey, it's hard what they do and it's creative and it's challenging and it takes time. If you have that and you can appreciate it, that's gonna make you a better manager because now you can actually empathize with these people and communicate. You don't have to speak their language on like a technical level. So maybe you found like a similar concept in neuroscience. What, so 
what like really drew you to neuroscience? Like what about the mind? Like how did that idea come up? It's you just mentioned it just came out of the blue, but <laughs> why did you want to go that direction and how has it impacted you with going that way since? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, it's funny because I, I kind of stand by the fact that it, it somewhat came out of the blue. And I think that should I have been given more years in university, I would have ended up majoring in yet again, something else. Um, I think I just ended my four years like in that um, vein. But when I actually, when I started um, at Berkeley, I was a math major and I just, I didn't like, and so this is it. I didn't like the way it was taught. I took multivariable calc in high school with Sheldruff and um, oh, God love that woman. And she, <laughs> <laughs> she will fail everybody. So they understand that your worth and your understanding has nothing to do with the grade. Like she was the best example, right? Like I'd show up crying and she'd be like, so who cares? An F is an F, but like, do you get what we're talking about? And um, anyway, so I decided to retake it at Berkeley. And um, disclaimer, I can't remember if I ever told you this, but I really did not enjoy my academic experience at Berkeley. And um again, like this is part of why I completely dissociate like a lot of like our hallmarks or milestones of like what it means to be successful with like what it means for you personally to be successful. Because Berkeley, gosh, you say that and people are like, oh my God, amazing. But then in my experience, I'm like, gosh, I don't think that this was the right way to teach or learn or deserves like the reputation that it gets in any way. Um, and my example of that is I have, I retook multivariable calc and the professor, he was a Russian professor and he was in every respect a genius in his field. Um, but he was there for research. And so he would some days like pronounce the variable phi, some days he pronounce it phi. Like I did not, I near failed that course and I'd already taken, you know, and it was so hard to pick up because um, a lot of the professors there were not there to teach. Right. Again, totally mutually independent, like your genius and your ability to teach. So, um, I was like, okay, I'm not going to be successful here at math. So then, you know, what were all my friends doing? Econ, because what is everyone doing <laughs> in college when they have a crisis, they go to econ. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at uh, Berkeley, I think um, where I went to school is more just like you go to business in general, you know, econ yeah. and business was separate in my school. Oh, school I went to. Interesting. Okay. I, okay. Well, to some degree, like our business school, you had to apply for the business program. Like oh. you do it, you know, so econ was like the softer version. I'm, I'm sure people that may listen to this from Berkeley are going to hate me for saying that. Well, it goes to show like you're not, um, your like ego or your like self-worth is not connected to the school that you went to in any way. And you're willing to say, look, this is my experience. And I don't think this is a good way to like judge people's quote unquote success or ability. Right. And so that's, I think one of the problems that exists is that if you go to a school you're like yeah that school was so hard and the the classes were so difficult and the rigor was so high and I like your honesty for sure <laughs> <laughs> truly um Richard Feynman was like the have you, are you familiar with Richard Feynman the name rings a bell but I'm not sure it's um I only just recently read his book that's why he's top of mind he was um he won the Nobel Prize for physics and um he worked on the Manhattan Project um, and he just has the series of lectures became very famous because he was a lecturer at Caltech and he just had the most beautiful way you can watch his lectures on YouTube, um, of making physics accessible. And it's like that age old adage, which is like, if you're really good at what you can do, you can make it simple. Um, and so like, there just is, there's no necessity of anything being overly complex. Like if another human mind could, could grasp it, you should be able to, too. 
And if it's being presented to you in an overly complex way, it's not because you're dumb. It's because the other person isn't making it accessible. Um, but uh, anyway, so all that aside, I switched to econ, did you know an internship in private equity, all of that. And uh, I would love, I would love to say I'm similar to you and that like I'm adventurous and I, I shun the status quo, but <laughs> I was in my sophomore year, couldn't do another corporate internship. I just simply, the idea of an office and I love, this is where like the car thing comes in. I love working my hands and for some convoluted reason, I thought if you sell cars, you can work with cars, which is not <laughs> <laughs> Like you can do mechanics and stuff on cars? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Every time I would go into service, the guys were like, get out of here. Like <laughs> you're going to be a liability. <laughs> um, this one guy, Howard, that was great. He would like, he would let me wield the power tool. Cause I like was begging, but um, yeah, I for sure liability. I wasn't licensed to do that. Um, but anyway, so I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go sell cars, like get involved in this world. And when I was selling, it was super cutthroat. Actually, you know, it's hilarious. I called Jackson Richards before. He's the connect. He's the guy. He, I, I called him. Yeah, he, he's a mutual friend of Kyle and I's and yeah. he sold cars. And I called him and I was like, do I do this? And he was like, it's tough. Mm. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> Sounds like I should be doing this. Um, and very much so. It was super cutthroat. And the one thing that I came to realize, I sold Cadillacs because it was like the first place that I walked into, um, was that there's absolutely no intrinsic value that you're selling like you build the value in no mm. one wants to buy an escalade for twenty thousand dollars like they want to spend a hundred thousand dollars on it mm. if you sell it to them for twenty thousand they think it's cheap right like they think it's cheap um which is crazy you're just like <laughs> but take the discount dude but no it's an entirely different thing if you're not selling it for like that high value yeah Price. Um, and then at that point, sorry, this is such a long story, but at that point I'm like, consumers are not rational. Humans are not rational. I should probably study the brain. Mm, that makes and, a ton of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing so, it full circle. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So then I, I switched to cognitive neuroscience and then should I, like I said, been given a few more years, I would have changed something else, but that's what I graduated in. And then how did you end up at Google? How did that oh next my God. step go? It is because of it. So, you know, my senior year, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. I'm like AI intern, like research thing with Microsoft or like neuroscience um, researcher with a startup in SF. And then out of nowhere, Google emailed me. <laughs> and I was like, that's. They heard is... you sold a lot of cars or what? <gasps> you won't believe. And I was like, oh my God, this is how I get a virus. I click the link, oh. <laughs> set up a phone screen. And before he gets a word in edgewise, when I have my phone screen, uh, I go like, like, is this real? How, why are you reaching out to me? And they created a brand new program. They're a little late in recruiting, which is why they reached out to everyone who ended up in it. And um, it was with Google Cloud. It's a technical rotation. So you have to be able to have some coding skills, et cetera, but work with customers. And he goes, look, like we've seen you've done internships, taken like, you know, a course or two in CS concepts. But more than anything, we need someone who can be customer facing. And you sold cars. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> That's bizarre. So was your like resume out there on the interwebs or whatever and they saw it or how? Well, I had applied to like, you know, in various internships, like I applied to random things with them and, and they had it in their files. Um, and it's funny because when I, so you know my brother, but like when I told my brother and my mom one summer, like, okay, like I think I'm gonna go sell cars. They were just... They were savages. They were like, right. what are 
a terrible idea. They're like, you are going to waste a summer? Like that is, you know, just not a resume booster, nothing. And like, thank God it was, it led me to where exactly I needed to be. That's incredible. Uh, that story right there is, I can relate to it a lot. Um, just my own path. Like you said, like you just go with kind of what your heart and what your gut tells you and things work out. Totally. And I think that that's how you live a happy life is like, sure, like regret will come and go or maybe a thing. But look, if you, if you live your life by the playbook of what everyone else tells you, then how, of course, you're going to feel so much regret because life will never go the way that you planned. Never. And when you're playing by someone else's rules, you feel like you should be blaming someone else. But when you're playing by your own rules, you're just like, you know what? It's not going to work out, but at least I got to live it the way I wanted to. I love it. Taking like full accountability and ownership for your journey. Right. And not like, especially from the communities that we're from and like, there's a carved out path. Parents want you to follow that path out of love often because they want you to be financially stable and they want to be able to tell their friends, Oh, my kid's doing such and such. And so you're for sure an empowering, um, story right here. And I want to keep diving in because, um, you left Google, like, yeah, not necessarily because you had to, but because you wanted a new, talk to me about why you left and move me forward on this journey. Okay. I, I had this hesitation and this apprehension that like, maybe it's a pattern of me. Maybe it's like a, uh, um, never, what's the word? Not, mm, I think the word would be like, not complacent. And I, I just can't accept things for like what they are necessarily. It was the same thing with Google as it was with Berkeley. Like that's where I'm going with this. I get to Google and everyone's like, but this is Google. And I'm like, but so what? Like, you know, and, um, I'm surprised I even lasted two years. I was so bored mm. and I hated it. And I like a year in really wanted to leave. I was looking at other things. I thought, okay, maybe I'll pivot into sustainable fashion. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, this, I swear this is a thing that comes up in, in every woman or, you know, trendy man's life. Um, and was really trying to leave. And all of my mentors, and I'm glad I listened to them, said, let's just put in two years because that is important for every future important of that you can like say something out. But um, the thing that I could never wrap my head around with Google is, um, it's, it's a very well-established company. It's a big company and, and there's a lot there that's already done. And so, um, there wasn't a lot that was cognitively challenging left for me to do. I could do like, you know, I, I did a one-off project with UPenn Medicine or whatnot. And I'd con constantly insert myself into like Google healthcare and random projects, go to radiology conference, like find ways to literally weasel my way into like anything that was interesting. Um, but everything had been done already. And a lot of the people that I worked with were much older and they were like, we're so excited to work here. Like, this is where we're going to retire. Like, you know, just, just coast and, and waited out for 10 years for your cat, your stocks to cash. And that, I mean, that sounds awful. <laughs> I'm like, why? Yeah. No, I saw the same thing. I saw people at, when I was at Avanade, this tech consulting firm, like people 10, 12 years there. And I just was like, wow, you been doing this job for 10 years like that is something about it just you know maybe it's for them but for me that just scared the shit out of me and every single day I was like thinking okay is this something I could do for a year or two yes but mm -hmm. every day I would be asking myself like when am I gonna leave 
So did yeah. you did you have a lot of anxiety around that time? Were you always like, what was the internal struggle like? And then how did you come to actually like leap and be brave in a certain sense, right? And go and take a step that totally could fall flat on your face and not be welcome back or people be like, you know, you could worry about how other people would judge that decision. Like what were some of the anxieties that you had there? You know, the judgment, I think that was probably the biggest factor, which is embarrassing to admit because the, one of the reasons I stayed was because everyone, not even at Google, but everyone around me so validated me by like, oh my God, you're at Google, you know? And so it was like, am I really going to leave this and have to stand like on my own two feet and like have people appreciate me for my personality and not that like <laughs> I work <laughs> man like <laughs> it's a lot of pressure especially in our communities when the first question that you're asked is oh so what are you doing or where are you going to college or you know that's always what it's about and it's like how well you're doing is really just dependent on like the first sentence response there which is oh I'm doing great I'm blah 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 whatever it is yeah like do you recognize this company name right like can you will it pass the rumor mill once it gets carried <laughs> on the telephone you know <laughs> um that is completely it. And so to be like totally honest, I didn't even end up looking for the job that I'm currently at now. I was sitting on my laurels. I was at Google. I was very much not um, loving it, but um, I, they had just moved me to DC. I'd come out of the program. They just moved me to DC. I really didn't want to go. I knew in my heart of heart, it wasn't the right move for me. And yet I didn't have a choice. That was like the part of it being a big company is they can just tell you what to do and you don't have a choice. And it was right at the beginning of the year. So two, two months before COVID hit. Um, and so, you know, I'm there like not really with the community in DC, like that was really sucky and, um, office was a lot smaller and all my coworkers were like parents. And so they, oh, after, yeah. So it was just, it was, it was not a good situation. Um, and what was really tough too is, and like this folds into the story, but it was the first year that Google had run this program. So they hadn't worked out all the kinks and like, it's a very basic, um, like company-wide policy that if we move you from like Austin, Texas, which is where I was before to, um, a place with a higher cost of living, you know, we adjust your salary. Well, they moved half of us to New York, San Francisco, DC, and could not get it sorted with HR and moved us there on an Austin salary. And which I'm like super transparent about because I think it's very important for people to know, like you think like, okay, I'm going to go to this big company and like they have things worked out and like the amount of now like girls and kids that I mentor that are like, oh, but I should take the safer bet and go to the bigger company. And like, it doesn't mean anything like they, they, you may end up in an org where they don't have things worked out and get the shaft, you know, and that's what happened to us. So I'm in DC on an Austin salary. Now I have an income tax and um, higher cost of living. And I've had less of my paycheck than I did two years before when I started as a new grad. That was awful. Um, and they brushed it under the rug because mm. you're not going to call Sundar Pichai. There's no one accountable. It's a, it's a hundred thousand person company. Like yeah. no one is going to do anything. Um, and so Stripe came along and they asked me to interview for the same role I was doing at Google. And I've just always been taught interviewing is great practice. Great. Take the interviews. Stripe is a payments company and their founders are geniuses. I mean, like they're there. I listened to their interview podcasts, um, two Irish guys, and it took off with COVID because all payments went online. And so long story short, this, uh, this company was like, you can, basically create new processes, do 10 times more than what you're currently doing. It's completely rogue. It sounded so much more interesting. 
And they offered me double what I was making. And that was like a gut punch. I am like, that sounds like a, a weird way to put it, but I was like, so upset at how underpaid I was mm. at Google. And I was just like, you know, and again, like that eye-opening thing of like, now when I tell people like, follow your path, it's, there's, there's perception and there's reality, right? And you just like, you gotta, you gotta be super critical of everything. Um, so anyway, so I ended up at Stripe. They moved me back to Seattle. I'm so happy about it. Cause now I'm home with my community, um, you know, doing a lot more in this company. So. Super. Um, yeah. <laughs> You mentioned mentoring people. And one of the things I want to ask you about is like your mentors, because, you know, there's a quote, I forget who said it, but it's like, I'm only standing on the shoulders of those who came before me. And in a way, like you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, your parents, and I wanted to ask you about specifically your mom, but both your parents, like how have they empowered you, impacted you? And who else are some mentors for you? Because it's, it's a huge thing. Like we can't do things just totally in a vacuum on our own. Oh, such a good point. Um, so my parents, my mom, okay. It, you hit the nail on the head. It's 1000%. It's my mom, but it's a very subliminal way. It's not ever been so much the case where she's been like my, she's always been my biggest advocate, my biggest supporter, but you know what is crazy? My mom worked at Microsoft for 20 years and because of that reference in my view frame of obviously women are in tech, obviously, you know, women are in like leadership positions. That's what I grew up with. I grew up watching her make slide decks that that just seemed like the safe, safe option for me. Like that was my like safety net. And what a privilege. I, I never had to overcome this lack of, um, or this, lack of confidence, or I guess like this insecurity of like, I'm a woman in tech because it's what I grew up with. Um, <laughs> That's super interesting. It's crazy. My dad was uh, a Microsoft guy as well. And I had not obviously being a woman, but just like seeing that that path is there and saying, okay, that's what a lot of folks would say is like the pinnacle of success. And then I would see like, for sure, it was great for him. He's actually still working there. But for me, I knew it wasn't going to be my thing. Um, yeah. so keep, keep going. I, I'm so interested because it's, it's really, I think it, and you can change my words here if, um, <laughs> if it makes more sense or you can rephrase things, but we're almost like programmed in a way to think that, oh, because like I, I'm not a woman, so I'm just speaking from my perspective, but like, like women should go in a certain direction because it's like women aren't in tech generally. And so it would be like more successful for you to do that, even though it might not be aligned with what your calling is in life. Does that make sense? Like you've been able, like what you're saying is such a privilege to have the ability to go towards your own path rather than feel pulled towards something out of, I don't want to say like a ego thing, but just like a, a socially constructed value that's not actually yours. Does that make sense? Yes. That is okay. So that is such a great point because I think it really isolates why I, I think I've been able to be successful in tech if quote, I successful in quotations, um, but, you know, land at this massive company because, um, how do I put this? Because the barriers were already broken down for me, my view of myself in tech was always 
when one of like certainty and in, in my ability, like I've watched someone come before me who could do this. Um, so why can't I, you know, no sweat off my back. I never felt as though like, I'm not supposed to be here or, you know, I wouldn't be valid in what I was saying just because of X, Y, and Z. But I very quickly noticed not everyone at Google expected me to have so much confidence or have so much like self-awareness in that vein. And, um, there was definitely a disparity in how girls and guys were treated. Even my program actually did a write-up internally because I interviewed everyone in my program based off of my observations, which was like the guys would were given projects right from the get-go of like, do this, do that. But I had to ask. And like, even then my, 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 um, what is it called? Like my team leads were like, oh no, no, it's fine. Just like soak up the, um, experience. Like you don't need to be doing anything. And so things were candid to me. I had to reach for them. And then I started noticing and opening my eyes and realizing, wait a minute, that happened with all the girls. And it's, it's, um, what's the word? It's unintentional. It's not, um, meant to be, um, like, you know, harmful or rude or unkind in any way. It's like that implicit bias thing. Um, and I think I was only able to, again, like be successful and like kind of be so aggressive and like what I was trying to do because um, I had that confidence of like, I should, I need to reach for things. Like I need to do this, even if they're not given to me. And um, not all of the girls felt the same way. And when I interviewed them, they were like, uh, there was definitely a lot of timidness. Mm. Um, so which is to say, like, I don't think that tech is the place for me necessarily, but I think it's a combination of all my experiences it's being in the Boy Scouts, you know, it's like seeing a mom who like has always been in tech and she's always been the only woman in the room and it's, it's never made her seem less credible in any way. Um, uh, but I don't know if I really fully answered your question. <laughs> Definitely did. And you, you're like a natural storyteller too. the way that you're able to like tell stories, go down a path and then loop it right back into like make a ton of sense and really cement it home. And, uh, what value do you get out of mentoring people and what's some of the advice that you're giving to folks and maybe like what questions do you typically get? Cause I'm sure people reach out to you and like, how did you do this? Or how did you do that? Like what are some yeah. typical things that you're talking about with your mentees? I, okay. This is so direct and it's so blunt, but it's confidence. It is. It does not matter how much, you know, you can learn it you have the same brain in your head as everybody else, but do you want to learn it? Like forget about all of the fear of why you're not as prepared as anybody else. Cause preparation is something you can always do. So, you know, um, you know, why you're unqualified, all those things, like all of that stems from fear. And that's like, it's, it's funny. It may be unsolicited for some of my mentees, but like when I, <laughs> when I mentor them and I hear like any essence of, um, them holding themselves back, it's, like that has to go because um, the, one of the things that I always think about is, um, oh my gosh, I want to say it was one of one of our presidents, but it was essentially like him asking his dad, like, wait a minute, if none of the smart people or the kind people are going to lead the country, then like who, who will? And he was, and his dad was like, well, that's exactly it. Right. Like where I'm going with this is if you have a good heart in your body, you've got good values, you've got good character you should be the one to do the tough things, to do the hard things. Um, and I want good people doing big things. And I don't 
I don't want those gaps in society of leadership and of progression and everything being filled by those with lesser values that are just more confident. Super well said. And it's like those things kind of counteract in a way because if you're, if you have good values or like good virtues, you're humble generally, you're pretty reserved. Like you're not necessarily the person who's going to go assert yourself. Right. And so those, you have to find a balance there in a way of saying, like, I think it comes for me, it comes to, and this has been something that I've begun to overcome as really, I turned like 25 last year, I'm now 26. Um, and just being like, Hey, I am qualified for this. Like I can start a podcast and sure. I'm 10 years from now, I'm going to look back at the stuff that I'm saying on these podcasts and be like, dude, you're an idiot, but it doesn't matter. Right. And I was holding myself back. And I think a lot of us do because we just think, Oh, I don't have the experience for that. Or, Oh, I need to master this before I can speak on it and things like that. And, um, for me, just being curious and being willing to learn is like, we share that for sure. Um, I was, we totally do. I don't, do you remember Politalk? Oh my gosh. Oh, oh it was God. your like website. What was it? Talk, what was it? I forgot I even did that. <laughs> Which was like, oh my gosh, talking about things that I look back on 10 years past. And I'm like, I wrote that and I published that. No. Oh, me too. The Facebook, the Facebook wars that I had with Neil Dattar about politics, <laughs> about going to the Afghanistan war and George Bush. And then now like 10 years, I literally like last November, I um, bumped into Neil at Spencer Dillon's um, house and we, he was like, dude, do you remember those arguments we would have? I was like, oh, I was so embarrassed. Like, I can't believe I was so confident in my 16 year old mind. <laughs> Crazy. That's exactly it. You're, you're everyone. I don't know. You're as qualified as the next person who's also talking, right? Like you just, I don't know. We're, we're all just trying our best with the same brains in our head. And when you realize that your parents, your boss, like people that are much higher up than you don't know what they're doing and they're able to just like learn on the fly. It's like, maybe I can do the same thing too. Ground shattering. I know that is the most ground shattering revelation. Wait, so what was Polytalk before we move on from that? Cause oh. I want to. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to resurface this. I have to make sure the domain is. <laughs> Um, it, oh, it stemmed from your year. So Kyle's year older than me. Um, you were all a voting age. So it's hilarious. Cause I'm pretty sure right. it was like my brother, like arguing with maybe even Neil Dattar. Um, but like all, all the guys like arguing about the stances of Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama. And it, the arguments were like, ugh, this is rude, but like a little, they were inane. They were like not very well informed. And I just kind of, I, we had this really lovely English teacher. Her name, her name was Miss Renlob. I don't know if you remember. I never had her, but I remember her. Yeah. Oh, she was so good. And like, I was that student that would have lunch with my teachers. <laughs> and so I, I would have lunch with her every day. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. All these kids are voting and they have no idea what the facts are behind what they're saying. And she goes, well, like, you know, you could research it and like provide that for them. And so, you know, me on my high horse creates this website, starts writing articles about like foreign policy and immigration and like the different stances of different candidates. And, um, oh God, behind each article was like 15 hours of research and it was a great exercise. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, definitely 
I had my own voice in it. And now I look back and I, I just laugh at the voice that I had those days. <laughs> I was known as the conspiracy theorist guy in high school. I don't know if you remember that. Do you like, do you remember that at all? I don't remember that. Which wow, that's so funny. And it kind of, it goes to show like when you get like a little bit of like a reputation or people know you, especially in our small communities, then you almost like live into that even more. And so like when I went to college, I was like, hey, I'm going to shut up, shut up about the conspiracies. Still to this day, I'll tell you that more people than those 19 hijackers on 9-11 knew that shit was going down before it happened. So that's a goddamn fact right there. And people would just call me crazy. And it was so funny, like, I guess understanding like how humans work and just like saying, you know, not all these are my fights to fight, you know, and I think as you grow up, you just realize, look, I'm going to stay in my lane in a certain way. And now I'm actually kind of like, hmm, maybe I should get back in the arena a little bit because there are so many people that are so misinformed. And there's what I, I mean, here we are, but like, what I always say is if it's in the media, it's either a distraction or it's not true at all. Like, sure, there's some truth and some reporting, but usually if there's something big in the news, I think like Trump has COVID. Like, really? Come on. Give me a fucking break. There's something else going on that should be being researched or should be being talked about. And that mindset has stuck with me for sure. But that's funny that you don't even remember me as that because there's, you know, the murals that we have in high school, like each year. Oh, my God. There was like a chemtrail on one of the murals. I knew it was a chemtrail. Oh, my God. That was was because of me for sure. We'd be outside like smoking weed or something. And I'd look to my friends and I'd be like, look at that. Look at that right there. Look at how it drops and gets bigger. Yeah. The murals. I I don't... Mine was, um, there was a pedestal with Teddy Vanderbilt and Meredith Adams and myself. It was a girl with like a little Berkeley Cal sweatshirt and like who even knows what that means. But I was like, (laughs) with them, that's pretty tight. (laughs) But um, I, my request for you is for Symphony, which is Kyle's like new upcoming podcast. Do one on conspiracies. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Um, I was kind of, man, I've spent... I don't even want to admit how many hours researching 9-11. And I think the, like the biggest takeaway that I had was I thought it was like a controlled demolition for years and years and years. Like I was like, okay, they, they filled those buildings with explosives. There's no way a plane would knock over a steel building. And this might sound crazy to some people. I don't fucking care. But after like seven years, one of my buddies sent me this link to this woman named Judy Wood. And she talks about um, direct energy weapons and how direct energy weapons were used to bring down those buildings. So there's certainly something placed inside the building, but there's evidence that these, like, have you ever heard of direct energy weapons or direct energy? It's like a technology that's um, for sure not accessible to the public, but it's, if you look, I'm sure if you type Google direct energy weapons or direct energy, like something will come up. I saw an article about how the military is using it recently, but... The punchline here is I realized as certain as I was about it was a controlled demolition, building seven, the third building fell in seven whatever seconds from 47 stories to four stories of rubble um, at the at the rate of free fall. So you're a you're a, you can understand physics like if the building is falling at the rate of free fall, that means that the the um, whatever's holding that building up was removed instantaneously, like a lot like a lot of the building just went away, which would never happen in a in a normal, like typical building fire. Um, But I realized I was actually wrong. And so that even brought me back down to earth again to say, 
like I wasn't so sure like when I was younger it's just like something inherent about maybe it was just me being super like sure about myself and everything and telling everyone but um, now I'm just like much more okay like this is my perspective right now but I'm gonna like hold it to myself and just say okay this is what I know I don't know for sure um, yeah. but I think the world needs a little bit more of that I I, I think I've evolved very much in the same way which is um and maybe it's for all the same reasons. It's just like, uh, God, I think that learning is on a bell curve. It's like when you start learning something, you know just enough of it that you feel very confident in what you know. But then as you learn more and more and more and you realize how complex everything is, you are not sure of anything anymore. And it like hits that peak on the bell curve. And I think that that's where I am with so many things where like, because I love to get so deep and in depth with them, I'm like very comfortable with the fact that like, there's just so much. I don't know and I can't know and it makes me like not very I mean I feel like you'll see it on my social media too like I'm I'm just not very loud about like any one mm-hmm. topic or subject because I just don't think that's like a the best way to like I guess put out my energy you know like right and you put out the energy that you like say like this is like you're talking about being confident in yourself and growing as a human being and being on your own path like those things that you share with your mentees like that's valuable no matter where you're coming from. It's not controversial. It's not like it's gonna, there's no downside to like sharing positivity. And I try and make sure all my social media is just like all positive these days. Um, Yeah. There's no reason to like, there's life is so short. There's no reason to like talk about the the negative stuff. Yeah. And it is all the like negative controversy. It's all so personal. Like you can never, Mm. never comment on something with so much objectivity that you're not upsetting somebody and like you know what what's the point in that like fight for human rights but like you know just it'd be be empathetic so yeah I hear you there super <laughs> so I want to I have a couple more things to ask you about um and I want to ask you about your mental health because this is something that's just like top of mind for me recently um working yeah. with the Scooty Fund which is an, a mental health nonprofit organization um yeah. And just trying to get different people's perspectives on what their journey with mental health has been. So give me two minutes on, on your like mental health journey. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm really glad you asked because my friends know, but it's one of those things where like, again, unsolicited, I'm not going to share it with the broader public. Um, and my mental health journey is I have, I think since maybe high school or college, but like it's evolving and it fluctuates. I just have anxiety and it is, and it's something where like having studied the brain and understanding, and my definition of anxiety is not um, necessarily like, okay, something really difficult is happening and I don't know how to approach it. It's um, because I think anxiety is, is a necessary and like powerful part of the human experience, but um, it's more like when everything is fine I know everything is fine. Like, you know, I'm sitting in my Google office eating my freaking hemp seed chia pudding and I, and and my body like doesn't feel okay. And it doesn't make sense. And I can like rationalize it every which way, but it's like a physical manifestation of like, oh my gosh, why do I not feel okay? And, um, and again, like going back to studying the brain, like everything is in such fine balance that I, have always, it's probably more of a fear-driven thing, but like I've never felt super comfortable taking medication. Um, And I've always wanted to like kind of control it or or understand it and like accept it and deal with it like just with me and my own brain. Um, And so 
the short and long of it is I I go on walks a lot. Um, mostly just breathe, clear my head. I'll go for walks in the middle of the day. It's I think that's the best part about working in a tech environment. You can have a flexible work schedule. Like if I worked in investment banking and I was starting to get really anxious and I couldn't just leave for 30 minutes and like go run it off or walk it off, like it would be very different. Um, so I, I sympathize with that and I, I know how privileged I am to be afforded the ability to take, take breaks. But um, there's that. And then I'm in therapy. I mean, I've been in therapy for 10 years. Um, I <laughs> It's funny because in some so many ways I love therapy because I, I just love shooting the shit with someone about like psychological states. <laughs> Interesting. Um, you know, therapists are people that like they've got masters or PhDs or whatever and like neuro to some degree. So I just love talking to therapists. But um, Me too. Right? I'm not actually, I'm not in therapy, but I love talking to, I have a friend who's a marriage and family counselor and just oh, like wow. picking, picking his brain and understanding like, oh wow, he has so much experience, like talking to all these different people. They bring their problems or their perspectives to him. And yeah, that's really interesting. What, um, yeah, keep going though. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, I think so much of like the value of what a therapist has come to understand comes from like their ability to crowdsource among so many different people. And what I love is like, I can tell a therapist, I'm like, you know, I'm feeling this and like, I just don't know. And they can definitively look at me and go, don't worry. Everyone feels that way. And I'm like, what? And the weight just lifts. Mm. And it's like that crowdsource, like understanding and um, like appreciation of like, you're just, you're not alone. And like what you're feeling or how you're thinking or like what's, what's instigating like your triggers anyway. Um, so yeah, that's, I think that's just probably like the biggest part of my mental, mental health journey. But I think, you know, like coming to that understanding of honoring like how I'm feeling and what I need to do to address it has been a long journey for sure. And it came from like being um, from unhealthy behaviors, being in unhealthy relationships, from realizing super quickly, like I'm the only one that's going to want better for myself, choose better for myself. No one else will hold me accountable for it but me. So like, <laughs> I'm going to do the hard work to like develop a healthy lifestyle. Like, great. If I don't, no one else will notice or care. It's, it's, it's all on me. So yeah. What um, are some of the pillars that kind of like keep it together like other than walks and um, maybe talk about your daily practices a little bit more? Like what, what are keys for you? Um, okay. This is, oh, I don't know if this is going to sound crazy. I don't think I've ever like really framed it in this way. Um, there is this concept that really stuck with me in one of my, actually, I think I read it in a book, a neuro book. And it's essentially when you are in love or you, um, are being told, you know, like you have that like love given upon you by someone else. And it's really, it's, triggers all that dopamine or whatever. Um, it simulates this area of your brain. And when you're very lonely, and I think it's just a super common, you know, appreciation, especially in American society, that there's huge loneliness epidemic, um, especially amongst kids our age. And like, I think that that triggers like a lot of, you know, the depression and anxiety and, and a lot of things. Um, one way to stimulate that same part of your brain is to show love to someone else. And it's so wild. It, it literally lights up the same areas. Mm. And then, <laughs> my friends, it's funny. They're like, oh God, to me, like you're so loving, you're so caring. But like when I feel 
I'm super anxious or I feel detached from the world. And I'm just like, you know, I lose sight of like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like some days I'll wake up and I'm like, why am I doing this? My little life hack, my little like biohack is pick up my phone and love somebody. Like what is someone else going through? What are they dealing with? I swear every time I pick up the phone and I call one of my friends, I'm mind blown at how much they're going through their own struggles. And to take the the pressure off of myself of like constantly fixating on like, what am I going through and how am I feeling? And like, why am I not feeling so like, you know, to take that and direct it towards someone else and like appreciate their struggle, appreciate what they're going through, like help them put my energy towards them. It completely, it always helps. That's very wise and super interesting. Like, and when you say love, it's obviously not like romantic, right? It's like true love like it's it's just on a human level that's yesterday actually we were sitting here I was kind of working I was kind of the afternoon I was a little tired I was kind of done um our landlord's daughter and this is so random but our landlord's daughter and husband like came into the house and they just like hey like they sat down they had their little nine-month-old kid and we started chatting and maybe he'll listen to this podcast because I told him to check out the adventure creator (laughs) podcast but we just got into this really right away. He's a German guy. And we just got into this really true, like true deep conversation about finding your path in life. And he was telling me about some of the anxieties that he has. And he was looking at me and I was telling him like, I wake up every day, not every day, but 99% of days, like feeling good because I feel like I'm on the right path and totally have not figured out. I'm on step one of a thousand steps and I haven't figured out anything but I feel okay because I'm on the right path and that might change, but he feels like he's not on the right path. He's like an accountant and just kind of like that, that opportunity for me to try and voice some of the understandings I have around mindset. It just brings me joy. And it's not like to say that I'm trying to brag about how I'm happy and it, it, I'm, I want to bring him along with me and share the knowledge that I have that I've been fortunate to consume from other people who are happy and and fulfilled um and and I yeah so I can it's so funny you say that because my brain lit up in that exact same way that you're talking about it's so fascinating though and it's yeah oh I was just gonna say like it's the same thing when someone finishes like rehab like after they're done with um like the AA process or whatever and then they go back out to go back to like life as normal one of the core things is like providing service to somebody else being somebody else's sponsor. So it's kind of a similar concept. That's wow. I didn't even think about that. And it makes so much sense. And it makes, I'm like, yes, this is like validated in an actual social setting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah, I just, it's so like caring for other people, caring for their struggles, getting to invest in other people and, and, you know, um, help them with your own, yeah, put your effort into others. I I mean, there is so, there's so many evolutionary, like, you know, reasons for why we're wired to do this, right? And like, if I talk about it from a selfish standpoint, but I think a lot of like biohacking, if I can even use that term, is understanding that the world that we live in is not systematically set up for the bodies that we evolved to have. And if we understand the bodies that we have, uh, we can live through this like contrived industrial world just a little bit easier. Um, and so it is just kind of like understanding those 
dopamine patterns and like using them and, you know, using them to fulfill your life, make it a little bit richer. So, yeah. I love what you're saying. It's like the human mind, like the mind is designed to keep us alive, not happy. I think Tony Robbins says this, like it's a million year old thing in our heads that's not evolved for us to have basically no threats in the average day. Like there's not a saber tooth tiger that's going to come like kill you, but our brains are wired to look for that saber tooth tiger and it's not coming. So we see social media provides the saber tooth tiger or like the anxiety that comes along with it. And so, yeah, no, I totally resonate with what you're saying. And it's, it's like, there's kind of another concept here, which I think is interesting is like the ability to have one thing click in your mind and really unlock like really a whole new understanding. Some learning comes incrementally over time, little by little. And then sometimes there's like something's like, aha. And then boom, now you're like in a deeper understanding of a certain concept or of the way that you fit into the world or something like that. So I think podcasting is super powerful for me because somebody like yourself can say one little thing that resonates and it's like, oh shit, like that's going to change my life, you know? And that's what drives me. Like when someone reaches out to me and they're like, dude, I started meditating because, uh, that one podcast you did with my buddy Kevin or, um, whatever. That's like, you know, obviously I'm, I don't get paid for this. Like I have no intention of like making it like something just for the money. Right. It's like purely out of, um, not seeking, you know, seeking like people's admiration or something. It's more like when one person messages me and like, dude, I love what you said on this podcast or that one guest you had shared this one piece of advice. And, um, so to kind of connect that all together is why I like to podcast, why I listen to podcasts. I, uh, I love it. I completely agree. I love, I mean, I listen to podcasts, but when I, to be more specific, I listen to a lot of interviews for literally that reason. Um, and one of the, uh, the current vendors I've been on is memoirs, but like, you know, just absolutely anybody and everybody's. And, um, I just read Nobu's, which is hilarious. Cause he's the way he writes his memoirs super Japanese, but the one through line I've seen in every memoir is like, be it Nobu or Giselle Boonshin or, um, like just read Melinda Gates, like, um, at everyone, everyone hits rock bottom, not because the world around them is crumbling, but because like they internally aren't at peace with something. And like, these are, you know, these are big household names, right? They overcame it. Um, which is all to say, like, it's empowering because they've shared their story with you and you hear their story and you listen and you're just like, it, it, what is the word? It helps make your like worldview more vibrant, more accessible. It's the same thing with podcasts. Like, you know, the more stories you share that other people can connect to, the more they're able to see themselves overcoming this or reaching for that. hundred percent, hundred percent. And in a world where everything's like really bite-sized, this long form podcasting thing has become really popular because people can resonate with an actual story. Like we're getting yeah. to know Sumita today, you know, <laughs> and you like, you could write a freaking book on your life and still come up short. But if like someone can resonate with the story, um, that's why I'm drawn to storytelling for sure. That's why I kind of was originally like, Oh, this, sh- this shit can change things in, in a positive way. Like doing the research, coming up with the statistics. Yeah. There's people, scientists, uh, researchers. Yes. That's great. It's nice to have that data. Um, 
but without like just believing and having a story. And um, I just think stories are the most powerful thing. And you're a storyteller for sure. Ah, I appreciate you. You bring it out of me. (laughs) No, I did not do anything. Literally, I just turned on the turned on the mic and (laughs) sat back and enjoyed the whole thing. Um, You have the spirit of an entrepreneur. So I'm sure at some point in your career, you're going to be a self starting entrepreneur. Do you see that being something that you want to do at some point? I would need something that I think is worth selling. Mm. And I don't have that yet, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> the whole you entre- have this like do-it-yourself mentality, which is like so key to anyone who's like starts something on their own, you know? And I just see like, I don't know, I, I see it for sure. Um, <laughs> so when that idea comes into your head, it's going to be a good one. Oh, I appreciate it. I, uh, I just, I like doing things because I think that life is super short. Um, might, might as well make the most of today. <laughs> so wise. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap it up. This has been so, so much fun. Um, Thank you. And yeah, I know you've got to get into more meetings. Are you going to take a little break after this? Go for a walk? Oh, that's, I, I, you know what? I don't feel, I don't feel anxious. I just feel <laughs> Good. I'm glad I didn't make you feel anxious. That's, that was my only goal. Yeah, that's a good way to ask. That was very subtle. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wrote here and I guess it's like my thought was, and, and it's so cool to like kind of see how everything plays together and how this energy that you bring really like comes to fruition. It's, um, yeah. it's so, so cool to hear your story and like you're, you know, totally not, figured everything out but you've like laid these bricks down in order to kind of go whatever direction you want to go and it's uh yeah I'm super excited to see what you do next and um, I, you know, I appreciate it but and I have to just get this plug in it's only possible because you touched on this because of the people that I have in my life that also pave the way um and obviously this what you're doing right here right now is like very much you know it all goes hand in hand with like giving the rest of us permission to do things that are like creative and interesting and like you have no idea what you're doing but like whatever we're having fun right like (laughs) this was a blast with you today (laughs) so much fun I yeah I enjoyed it a ton I wish we were in person um but we'll definitely do another one of these in person back in the 206 one day one day well, thank you. Say thank hi you. They had everyone out there for me in Mexico and enjoy it. Love that for me. Will do. Sounds good. Yay. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Awesome. Bye, Samita. Bye.